Greetings and welcome everybody to another episode of the Decision Hour. I'm your host Adam Bird, and this week we're uh, John's back with me. We 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 slotted to do like four of these shows, I think, initially, and we've got like ten in the can, or we're working on ten right now. So I mean, it, it's it's absolutely crazy, but um, we are con- carrying on with our conversation of. Let's have a conversation. Excuse me. We're carrying on our series of Let's Have a Conversation. Uh, so without further ado, John, how are you, brother? I am doing great, Adam. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. This is an exciting, uh, exciting topic tonight. Why don't you, well, let's dive right into it. Share with our listeners what we are talking about in this episode of Let's Have a Conversation. Yeah, so in, in, this, in this conversation, we're going to be talking about the greatest threat to our civil liberties in the present day, the administrative state. Some people might call it the deep state. Others might call it the swamp. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. So what exactly, what exactly, what's the definition then of the administrative state? Yeah. So definitions could vary, but they're all going to come back uh, to something uh, resembling the following. It's a body of, of, of it's an agency. Okay. Okay. Made up of agencies for, for the most part, who are, of course, have people in them. Right. And the people are not elected. They're just hired officials. They tend to be experts. And what these agencies do is uh, they, they take a statute and as part of a statute, let's say the Clean Air Act, okay, as an example, was a statute passed by Congress. But because Congress is, it's, it's ridiculous to think that Congress could sit down and agree on every fine point of, of what would need to be done to make air clean. And so they delegate that authority to an agency. Okay, and, and and so the agency in this case was uh, the EPA, and well, the agency gets to define what clean air really means. They get to make rules to um, to implement. Right. So they're the they 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 end up with legislative power because they make rules. They end up with executive power because they go out and enforce the rules. So they kind of, they define what they're doing. They enforce whatever they're, you know, assigned to do. And then they are, they are judicious, judiciary as well, because they adjudicate. So if you've got an issue with, if you're a company and you, the EPA comes in and you guys have a disagreement and you will end up going before a tribunal uh, at the EPA and they will rule on your issue. So they literally make the rules, enforce the rules, and adjudicate right. any disagreements. Now, this administrative state is not just federal. It's also at the, at the state level. And it has grown greatly out of control. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a statement that's debatable. So from my point of view, from my classic liberal point of view, from my Jeffersonian Madison type point of view, uh, it has grown greatly out of control. Now, there is no place in the Constitution. We have this pesky document called the the Constitution that progressives, and I'm talking about older progressives, really, I'm, I'm talking about Wilson era progressives. Man, they were trying to figure out a way around this thing. So the administrative state largely grew out of uh, the necessary and proper clause, uh, which was kind of a weak place in the, in the constitution. And the question got asked, well, is it necessary and is it proper? Right. And, and decades, decades have, have gone by and we've, you know, messed with these words and we've, you know, we've had uh, thought, in, in law and philosophy about these words. And uh, we've been largely, we've engaged in constitutional in, interpretation. Uh, and if you take that to its nth degree, you can pretty much a- make anything constitutional 
as we break words down to fundamental meanings and take them uh, uh, by themselves and they and, and rob the phrase and the clause of of power. So that's kind of how it came to be. So it grew out of the progressive movement and the, the progressive movement, Wilson uh, in his writings, even as early as 1885 is decrying these 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 darn uh, checks and balances uh, that that keep people like him in the knowledge class, the elite class uh, from implementing these things that would be so good for the world without any consideration for the fact that those checks and balances were per- put there specifically to make it difficult. Right. You know, right. For, for anybody to, to say. And to to do certain things. Right. Well, what is good? Whose idea of good? You know, if you go back to Aristotle, Aristotle says that every action in the world, every action in the world uh, is, is aiming at some good, but he, whose version of good, right? And, and, so, and therein lies lies the question. But you know, this has expanded over the 20th century, and now we are in a in a situation where the administrative state uh, is composed uh, in its totality, in its totalness, in its total population of somewhere around 20 million people. Yeah. So it's very large, and so it has the the size where it can. Uh, literally affect elections. And, I, and we've touched on some of this in prior shows. It, in, it is so large from uh, in terms of power because of the reasons we just stated, having all this power delegated to it from uh, by Congress, that it can, it can work on the electorate, the electorate um, through, well, we've seen it happen during the COVID pandemic. Right. Unelected officials who wielded a tremendous amount of power, who are on TV all the time, they can change what the public thinks because right. they're wielding so much power. Influencers. And, and so, I mean, and we're really just kind of uh, touching, touching on the the ultimately the amount of power and the amount of sway that the administrative state has on us. No one person is going to roll into the executive branch and be able to dismantle this thing no. because the administrative state, and these are all the various agencies, they can put the brakes on anything. Yeah. FCC, SEC, FAA. I mean, it's, it's all, and we've all, and, and I guarantee you, we've all seen it at one time. If you're listening to this, you've seen that these agencies come in and put a halt on something at some point of your life. Yeah. Now the and question, people, my question is, is it is it, it going to get is it going to get worse? I mean, because I, I look at it this. So we're talking about the administrative state, and I, I in kind of researching this and what it was, and 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 kind of have a better understanding of myself. I went to the Heritage Project, uh, Heritage Project, Heritage dot org. This is in no way a a plug for them or or anything like that. It was just on on theirs, and they did an article. This was uh, about. This was published in 2007, but it was talking about the birth of the administrative state, where it came from, and what it means for limited government. And it's a, it's about an hour long read, but it's very interesting because they use different, uh, like the SEC and the um, there was a there was a, a, a an incident with the Federal Water Service Corporation um, and a company. It was like. Charney Corporation or something like that. Anyway, um, but it was talking about how the Charney Corp, this, this corporation tried to go out and buy stocks because the, this company was supposed to go public or whatnot. So this, this kind of started like how you insider trading kind of a thing is what I got from it. But arbitrary government against the rule of law uh, is one of the things that's like, so it's, it's like all this thing, it's, it's a good read, and it definitely helped me out trying to understand where did this, this administrative state come from. More importantly, how do changes be made in the administrative state? Yeah, so I think that's ultimately where, where we're going. Uh, it's important to understand where it comes from, but I think it's – and Larry Arn from um, the president of Hillsdale – yeah, president yeah. of Hillsdale College – gave a great little talk on it, which I really appreciate. He really broke it down very simply. Uh, but his solution was first understand the constitution, understand our 
founding principles in a, in a, in a detailed way so that you can articulate it too understand the administrative state. That's what we're doing tonight. We're trying to help people understand the administrative state, point them toward resources to help them to understand. And then to, to describe what they are doing, force, force these agencies and the people who represent them to tell the truth, force them to say what they're really saying. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. And I keep coming back to that as well. I've been saying that on a much more personal and lower level for a very long time, force people to say what they really mean to say, ask questions until, until they actually say what they're, what they're meaning to say. But I've heard a lot of different opinions on how to combat the administrative state. And I'll jump way forward and just say that one of the best solutions I've met was from a law, law professor called uh, Peter. His last name is Hamburger. Let me just double check his name. Philip, Philip Hamburger. Um, and he said, careful and thoughtful litigation, not necessarily big, not necessarily some huge class, class, you know, class action lawsuit, but just very careful and targeted litigation. Right. That, that, that was his approach. Now, I think, I think there's multi-prong attacks that need to happen. I would love to have an executive who, a president, who is willing to push back the, the power of the state and try, or the, you know, the administrative state and try to curtail it. Here's the thing with that. The administrative state, these agencies are largely extensions of the executive branch. And it's very easy to use them for good or for ill, right? Again, who's good? So if I'm, if I'm Donald Trump, well, I have all this power through these agencies to get my agenda through. Right. Perhaps which actually I think one of his big issues was he was really fighting against the administrative state. But so, well, now if I'm Joe, Joe Biden, I've got a completely different agenda, but I still have all this power at my disposal. And so it's, it's, it's tended to grow despite what, what part, you know, what party was in power or what, what the, the views of the executive, what was over time, it's tended to grow. Yeah. And, and so that's difficult. Now, why would Congress stand for this? It, and to the audience, and Adam, of course, you. But to everybody, challenge challenge me on this. I mean, a- ask questions and comments and stuff, and say, you know what, you're jacked up. But why would con- why would Congress why would Congress tolerate this? And I think it's not too far from the discussion from the point I just made about the executive branch. Okay. So I'm Congress. And, and let's just say that Congress has a collective will. Okay. And Congress is, and Congress has something that they think is a great idea. All right. I don't know what it might, but let's just go back to the clean air act. All right. Congress thinks clean air is, is a great idea. Well, they know that they're going to have to deep. They're going to have to delegate the details of this, of this thing to an agency, but they, they don't want to pass legislation that's particularly clear because they want to delegate it down to an agency that, that has a lot of its own power. Do they though? Well, yeah. That's that's where I could, I can't, I look at this. What was the first question you asked? Was um, why would Congress? Why would Congress with, allow this to happen? Right. Yes, because bottom line, it can work in their in their interest as well. That's, they can get that's, around. That's what it, it. They if they leave it broad or vague, right? Uh, yes. Then what happens is, is they can do back end deals with companies that they get kickbacks from, or this, that, and the other. Now, some of you are gonna be like, Adam, you're crazy. Not according to my last psych eval, um, but 
it's it's you can't sit there if you think that this stuff all like well because the government the people in the government would not do stuff like that yeah are are you shitting me like this is this is the part that upsets me is when we're ignorant as a society to think that they're not going to use their power to put more money in their pockets We've seen it over the last 70 years. It, it's happened. And it's happened on both sides of parties. I, it happens in politics, period. I don't care if you're red, if you're on the blue side, if you're down the middle. It doesn't matter. It happens with everybody. Right. Uh, well, let me yeah. – not that it happens with most politicians. I, mean, I won't say everybody because then I'm throwing the innocent in there as well. But it, it happens. And we've seen it. We've seen it even as recently as the last 10 years. Oh sure, I, I I've said this offline to you, John. I, was, I think Robin Williams once made a statement, and Robin was kind of left, but the, the comedian Robin Williams, yeah, once set up in, in a, in a stand up. I'll never forget it. He's like, I think politicians should wear NASCAR suits. Yeah, and that was so like, man, you don't even know how true that is. Yeah, it is. Tr- it is true, and so I, I heard a. Uh, I, I, I cannot remember the guy's name. He's a young guy. I'll, yeah, I'm trying to see if I've got it written down anywhere. I want to say his last name was Milan. At any rate, he was making a very good argument uh, on a Jordan Peterson podcast that I saw a few weeks ago. Or Well, it is. It's a video. I saw it. I watched it on YouTube. But he was making a very good argument for uh, – Basically, 99%, the vast majority of our politicians being, well, psychopaths that, that, that they, uh, the people who end up in those positions, uh, have a certain, you know, psychological makeup that, uh, allows them to be flexible and do what they need to do to get to a certain end. Uh, it was a very interesting talk. Um, I took a lot away from it. Anyway, yeah, yeah, but it's, the fact is that is how things happen. Very much so. I I spent a lot of time in the Pentagon. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, I'm just <laughs> yeah. telling you. Yeah. It's how how a lot oh, of things get done. Oh God, just to be a fly on the wall for a day. Oh in, yeah. In there. Well, I'll give you I'll, I'll give you one example, and this illustrates just a teeny tiny bit of the of the power of the administrative state. So I was working at uh, headquarters Marine Corps after I retired, I was uh, working at headquarters Marine Corps aviation as a graybeard, which is a civilian old civilian, crusty civilian Marine that, that works there. And we have young uh, majors and lieutenant colonels who come through there and we're managing, managing programs, strategic level stuff, you know, like joint strike fighter, you know, you've got like a dude in charge of, you know, Joint Strike Fighter, Fighter F-18. In my case, it was uh, H-1s. So, but one one year, uh, we lost, I don't know, let's just say it was 10 aircraft out of our budget. And we went to Congress. Uh, we went to certain, targeted certain congressional members, talked to their staffers, and uh, we got back, I they don't remember, but let's say we got back five airplanes but we were we were committed that we really needed all of our aircraft so um we got with the manufacturer of the um of the airplanes Mm -hmm. we said hey guys this is what we've done on our side with congress we need you to engage with the texas delegation and uh they did (laughs) some very powerful senators and congressmen down there and before we knew it, we had all our airplanes back in the budget. Now, that's, I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing or a good thing. We are talking about, hey, was I, as the person now in the administrative state at that time, was I working for the common good or was I working in my own interests? Now, I can certainly tell you that in my mind, it was for a greater good. You know, But my loyalty, I will be very frank with you my loyalty was to the Marine Corps. Right. And that's, I mean, 
well, you know, we've talked about it before. I mean, the Marine Corps is like basically family. Yeah. I, you know, it is to me and most Marines are that way, but in, yeah, in that, in that capacity, I was loyal to the Marine Corps. I wasn't necessarily thinking about the good of the greater. No, you were thinking you know, about, even, you were, you were thinking yeah, about even, the Marines. Yeah. Or even the greater DOD, right. I would have viewed army or Navy or anybody else who's, you know, making an attack on our money as, you know, it's somebody trying to steal our money, right. but very quickly getting back out of that little personal story to that's just one very, very small example of, of the way the administrative state works. Now multiply that by 20 million other people working in the administrative state. And yes, yeah, some of them are, are secretaries, you know, who can make a piece of paper go faster or slow, but never underestimate the power of a secretary. They can also make a piece of paper disappear. Uh, 100%. You know, is, is that phone call going to get writ, route, routed to the uh, executive or the general officer? Or is it going to get routed down to the mail room? <laughs> yep. I'm, I'd never, ever, always be friends with the secretary. Yeah. Or, or the aide or whoever is, you know. The, the, that's some great, <laughs> that's, a, that's some great advice right there. I'm not kidding. Always be friends with the secretary. Always be friends with the secretary. Yeah. We had two secretaries that were the gatekeepers for, uh, for our general officers at Headquarters Marine Corps. And if you were friends with them, you were much more likely to know when exactly he was coming back for lunch, from lunch so that you could be there at the door to meet him and say, hey, sir, can I have five minutes of your time? Dang. At any rate, but just one illustration, you know, now multiply that times, you know, 20 million or so folks so you, exercising power. So you have the administrative state and then you have all of these other entities that fall under the administrative state. Well, and I would roll that all up into the administrative state. Right. Okay. So if you have an EPA, you've got a mirror, a mirror organization at every state level. Okay. Yeah. Right. So then you're not dealing with them from federal level. You're dealing it from, well, like you just said, every state, right? So every state has yeah. its own. Yeah. And, and certain and certain states may have their own little, I don't know, you know, God only knows what New York and New Jersey have dreamed up. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure Maryland being right there, you know, is being a extreme authoritative, you know, authoritative, uh, totalitarian, uh, comfortable with those ideas. Yeah. I, same I'm, with I'm Pennsylvania. Sure Pennsylvania, yeah. same, same way. I'm sure they've dreamed up all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So how but do we, it is, go ahead. It, one, one more quick point, And this is right to what I was just talking about. I love an exchange that that was depicted in um, in the miniseries John Adams, okay. where John Adams and and uh, Thomas Jefferson have a little sort of good hearted jab back and back and forth because they were close friends. But Thomas Jefferson said, "Sir, you have way too much faith in the goodness of government." And John Adams said, "And you, sir." have a dangerous faith in individuals and they're both right. Yeah. But the fears of Madison is that, look, people tend to morph. And I want to make sure I get this right. I've got it written down. If people are in power, they tend to morph from the public good into factional issues that represent their own interests. Right. Exactly. So how do you stop yeah. that? Well, so that's a very interesting question, which if you asked 50 people, you'd probably get 100 different answers. How do you stop it? And so I, I think this, this gets back to kind of my, my solution for everything that's wrong with the world is govern yourself. Right. Make sure that you understand why you believe what, what you believe. Fix yourself, fix your family, have a conversation with your neighbor, get involved in your local community on some level. Right. Take action in the world. And take it. If you are acting in truth and with courage in the world, you will change it. And if you're acting with truth in truth, you're not going to do anything bad. <laughs> if you, if you are acting in truth, you're, you're, you are not going to become a concentration camp guard. If you lie to yourself, 
this is what we were talking about a little bit earlier that I was kind of excited about, but I want to wrap my head around it a little more before I talk about it in too much detail. But if, if, if you lie to yourself, right. Justify yourself, justify your actions to yourself incrementally. That's how a normal person becomes a concentration camp guard. Extreme example, but honestly, I think that's how you save the world. All has it had to do with the administrative state? Well, let's go back to the pandemic. And this is just one example. Let's go back to the pandemic about how everybody rolled over and our civil liberties died, not with a bang, not even with a whimper, but with kind of a, you know, the sound that a, a whoopee cushion makes when all the air is out of it. <laughs> I don't know what that sound is because it doesn't even make much of a sound. Right? Yeah. Nobody, nobody, nobody stood up. Nobody, nobody said, you know what? I'm out when they tell me to wear four masks. I'm out. Nobody, no, nobody, uh, you know, re- refused to close. Well, people did not enough. People refused to close their business. Um, just, I w- I was a little shocked by it, by how, how quickly that happened, but that sort of action in the world, I think is one of many pieces that would go into uh, fighting back against the arbitrary, not arbitrary against the totalitarian um, rule that we have now by the administrative state. So this is not just me rattling on and railing against the administrative state and just saying, look, Hey guys, it's bad. You know, do what I tell you to do or follow me. I, I think if we, understand it. And, and man, we can't cover it all here. We cannot do it. But we have a fourth branch of government. We have a fourth branch. And it's not responsive to the electorate. It has, um, well, let's, let's talk about this. It has, it has dim- greatly diminished oversight, uh, scrutiny and review. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about a case decided by the Supreme Court in 1984. It was Chevron versus, I think it was the EPA. Don't quote me. Actually, I've got it here someplace in some notes, but I don't want to take time to look it up. The the bottom line is that the finding has now become known in in, uh, legal terms uh, or legal parlance as the Chevron deference. The Chevron deference, meaning the Supreme Court decided that in this particular case, courts needed to defer to the expertise of the agency when it came to interpreting the details of the statute in question. Okay. Right. Okay. So here's why that is dangerous. And here's what that means. It's dangerous because now judges, there is their Supreme court precedents that is established that judges when, when somebody does bring a lawsuit in the normal courts outside of the tribunal system within a particular agency, when somebody does bring up a lawsuit uh, against, I'll just bang on, let's just say the part of later labor. Let's, let's go to another agency. I have a dispute. I bring a lawsuit against the Department of Labor, and it ends up in the court system. The courts now have to defer to, or are expected to defer to, the expertise and interpretation of that law that the agency brings to the table. So before the lawsuit even gets into the court, the judge is already acting and biased toward the agency so you can't get a fair judicial hearing out of it and that's just one piece adam there's there's so much more we've already talked about the 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 issues with the executive and the great expansion of power that that allows and how and how it is contended to expand despite the party over the years because they can use it right same same with congress hey i write a nice vague law I can defer it down. That keeps the president from being able to put his fingers in it too much. 
So they're kind of happy too. It's pathological. Let me ask you a question. By having yeah. this administrative state and you have all of these entities that fall under under it, right? As you as you mentioned. I would think that senators and, and Congress people would love that they love this. Not only to fill their pockets, but if something uh, if if something goes wrong, or there's a some unpopular measure of some sort, they're not held responsible for it. Bingo! They are insulated. Sorry, I don't mean to get too excited, but no, freaking ding, 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 ding! They are insulated from the electoral system. Right. So political, political, political pressure does no good. You can call your senator till you're blue in the face. You can sign petitions with millions of signatures. And it does not make a hill of beans because your senator or your congressman is damn near powerless to really do much about whatever the agency has done. Now, he might be able to call a hearing or something like that, right? He might be able to do some congressional investigation or something, but in terms of having any real power, it's insulated. You can't say to the head of some agency, oh yeah, well, I'm not going to vote for you next time because nobody voted for him in the first place. It's insulated. It's once removed from the electorate. So it greatly diminishes with all the, with all the, Increases in suffrage we've had over the years. Women got the right to vote in, you know, the 1920s somewhere. Uh, the, the black people got the, the right to vote back in the 1800s. Now they got it in fact right. in law. They got it back then, but they got it in fact later on. And I guess we could probably debate when that actually happened. But let's just say the 1960s. Right. Black people got the right to vote. Right. Greatly increased uh, the ability to vote. But those same people have had the rights diminished by the rise of the administrative state because it dilutes power because they legislate, because they execute, because they have judicial power in so many, ma- so many issues, so many matters that cut across the entirety of America. I mean, entirety of American life. So, okay, let's take property rights. Oh, yeah. Well, they can't touch me. I own my house and blah, blah. Oh, yeah. How about property taxes? Try not paying your property taxes for a while. See what happens. Yeah. Try going, try going hunting, take a few deer and see what happens when you, when you uh, run across the, uh, uh, DNR. Game order. Yeah. Game order. Just a couple of examples. Hey, see what happens if you uh, decide, you know what? I'm not registering my car with the state to get a to get a uh, a tag. That's stupid. It cost eight hundred dollars. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Just try it. See what happens. So if anybody thinks that they've minimized the impact of the, the government or, or maybe they think I actually had a coworker one time say, I don't see any ways that the government's encroaching on my life. I'm like, dude, have you been alive? Did your children have any parents or did your parents have any children that lived? Because if you've been alive and if your eyes have been open and if you have been not lying to yourself, then you should be able to see that, well, government touches almost everything I do. I can't get married without a marriage license. I can't go fishing without a fishing license in most places. Right. It's almost, etc. Uh, oh, I'm, et I'm, et I'm biting my lip. It's almost like they're in control. Yeah. You think? Let me ask you something. Yeah. Would it be wise for us then to kind of... Uh, I don't want to say get rid of, of the administrative state, but how, how do I say this? I guess what I'm asking is, is 
the administrative state be eliminated in in means that we return to like a constitutional government and the separation of powers that before anything takes effect, um, like any regulation or, or anything like that, it goes to the House and to the Senate to be voted on. Uh, oh, oh, we could we could probably devise some scheme for that to happen now. Okay, because here's, an old I, I, here's let me let me say this real quick. I, I think in okay. doing in doing this, you have, but the, okay, so you have the House, the Senate vote on it, and then it's it's passed by each of the two legislative branches, right? President yeah. signs off on it. You got a new a new thing, right? Um, if we did it this way, then we can theoretically, I think you'd be able to hold those people accountable then. Okay. And then, and then, and and it would replace the, uh, well, you'd be able to hold them accountable and you you would start weeding out the, I'm air quoting deep state types out of, out of, out of uh, power. So I would say you're 100% correct now. I'm going to re- reveal to you okay. an old John Curry tactic from my Pentagon days and those days <laughs> when I was when I was driving a desk. Okay, so uh, let's say that the boss uh, is a little bit of a micromanager and he wants to know everything, right? Right. Well, my response, meaning no real disrespect, but my response is, I will bury you. Okay, so stick with me here. By the time I'm done with about two days of sending all the all the, you know, the issues and stuff that that I need adjudicated. (laughs) Guess who's done? Yeah, the boss comes back. Hey, I don't need these anymore. All right. So now just take that little idea from a very small world. And let's let's apply it to the administrative state in Congress. The administrative state is me. Congress is the boss. They will bury them. And Congress will never get the first thing done. All they'll do, one agency, one agency, yeah. one day would bury them in so much gunk that they'd be, they would not be able to function. And so I think that would be over really quick. But you asked your initial question was right on the money. How do we hold the administrative state accountable? How do we reduce this power that is not accountable to the people? Okay, so let's back up to the Constitution. If you are a constitutionalist, if you are something, somebody who actually cares what the Constitution actually says, not what you think it says, Against, again, we're getting back to acting with courage and truth in the world and not lying to yourself about what the truth is. There is no place that sets out the administrative state. The administrative state grew out of interpretive constitutional reading out of the necessary and proper clause. So could you curtail it? Absolutely. Right. I think I think Philip Hamburger's uh, analysis that well-thought-out, careful litigation by smart folks targeting the right decisions, targeting the right agencies at the right times. I think that is an exceedingly powerful tool. And when you get in litigation, you have to remind the judge and appeal to his or her idealistic principled nature, which most of them are, regardless of where they fall, fall on the scale, you know, the political scale, left or right, right. they all tend to be principled people and appeal to that and say, look, this idea of deference, you you cannot punt your independent judgment. You cannot punt your independent judgment here. You cannot just defer to the agency. You have got to decide on points of law. I, I think that is a great strategy. But there is no one silver bullet. There is no one thing that's going to curtail the state. You know, I would love to see 
some folks that have gotten, you know, maybe there's some attorneys out there who are super, super smart. And maybe they've just had it with the, the state and they want to, I say the deep state, and they want to bring a lawsuit, bring it on. Pull your resources with other like-minded attorneys and just do it. Take action with truth and courage in the world. However you might be able to do it. Maybe you're just the soccer mom who shows up at the uh, school board meeting in Loudoun County, Virginia. Maybe that's your action in, in the world to fight back against an administrative state that is not, you know, helping acting and, you know, and, and actually the school board folks are elected, but this would be more of who's behind the school board ideas, the teachers unions and stuff like that, who are, who are not elected. Just a couple of ideas. Yeah. You, I don't even know what to say right now. You, you put a, a <laughs> lot right there and it was like, yeah, I mean, it, it's, what do you do? And, and first and foremost, we need to start having these conversations with others uh, as, as, hard as they might be for some, but we, we need to sit down and have these conversations. And then really first and foremost, or after that, you really need to start getting involved in your local uh, politics and understand what's going on in the neighborhood, in your area, in your borough, town, city, and then out to the state, because it, it, it hits home at home first and then it spreads out. We're looking at this. We we look at things. It's so easy to look at things from a national level because, like, oh, the the federal law says this, and I think for years I used to say, you know, the federal law says this, so you, the federal law can come in and shut the state down. Yeah, is that true? It depends on your point of view. It's it's like asking is the <laughs> is the administrative state really constitutional? So if you ask me or you ask somebody uh, like you, Richard Epstein of uh, of Chicago Law, if no. You, if you look at our founding principles, no, the states are supposed like the federal government cannot is not supposed to come in and supersede the states. Absolutely not. Uh, um. That's a, that's the federalist idea that right. that are and that's that's what this country was was founded on. The states have their own rules and regulations, as a lot of all of them do in, in certain situations. But what's happening right now is that the federal government is going in and saying yes or no to certain things that the states can and can't can't do. They're dictating basically what you can do in that state. I'll give you an Absolutely. example. It, it, by the time you guys listen to this, it'll be a couple of weeks out since it's happened. But uh, this administration went down to Arizona to try to stop the the counting of the the reelection stuff. Yeah, the Maricopa audit. And, right, and I know several people personally that were involved in it, and and they confirmed with what the news has been saying. Hey, there's literally tens of thousands of you know, ballots that were here that shouldn't be and, and this and that. So there's obviously something is going is going on. So if if in if this administration has been talking so much about oh well they're just trying to say that this was a rigged election, this, that and the other thing, if that was true, then there would be no reason for them to go to Arizona to try to stop anything. A hundred percent. And this gets back to, and I honestly, I don't remember if it was, if this was a podcast conversation or a private conversation between us, but we were talking about uh, several items, but one of them was the question of electric election fraud. Uh, and, and my ideas on it was, wow, you know, Hey, on, on, uh, you know, December 5th, or I'm sorry, uh, November 5th timeframe, some of this stuff started to come out and there was a lot of crazy ideas being thrown or statements being made and whatnot. And I'm like, huh, wow, that that's, that's kind of crazy. And that's, that's pretty interesting. So it wasn't, it wasn't the response from the other side saying that, no, you guys are crazy. It was when 
discussion got completely shut down. When organizations started censoring any discussion about it, when uh, government began to get involved in shutting down the conversation, that's when I was like, well, there's your sign. Yeah. The government has, I, I think what it all boils down to folks is that the government has far too much power than what they really need. And much of it is exercised through unelected officials. And we're the ones that elect those officials. Well, we're the ones we are, that are, we're supposed to be the ones to elect those officials. Yeah. Oh, yes. This predicament that we are in and, well, I'll, I'll just take, you know, the, the administrative state, the topic at hand. It's our fault. Yeah. It's our fault. It's like it's like Benjamin Franklin said when he came out of the Constitution of Congress and was asked what kind of government we had. He said, we got a republic, madam, if you can keep it. If you can keep it. Just just one day. I'd like to like sit in like a lawn chair or something, you know. And just watch the founders come back and just talk to everybody about this was not what we or just hear what they have to say about what's going on. I'll put it that way. I don't wanna I don't wanna assume what they would say. I think that would be very, very interesting. Somebody asked me on a podcast one time if I could if I could have dinner with, you know, one uh, individual from history, who would it be? And it would be George Washington, is what I answered. Yeah. Uh, not because he's just the first guy who came to mind, but I've th- actually thought about this. You know, I would just love to hear what he thinks about what's going on now. And and he just seemed like he would be a cool guy to hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just seemed like he'd be a cool guy to hang out with. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a, that'd be a good one. That'd definitely yeah. be a good one. Yeah, there'd be, there was a lot of them. What else do we want to tell everybody about or what to look for with the administrative state? Well, I, I would I would say I would I would I would love to talk for about two more hours, but I would say that that the rule of law loses when we talk about the administrative state. The rule of law, one of the founding principles, it loses, and it doesn't always lose in the big things. It doesn't always lose in the Chevron cases, like we outlined very briefly. You know, it loses in the little things. It loses when people just decide they're not going to fight back. It loses when people allow, um, you know, an agency to to bully them into, I don't know, paying a fine over something that was perhaps unjust. Um, but the rule of law loses. And so I'd kind of like for folks to think about that. Um, that's one. Two, there are actions we can take with truth and courage in the world that will curtail that power that is insulated from the electorate and begin to at least change the balance a bit. And you know what? I would love to see more normal people run for office at every level. I would love, I would love to see soccer moms and, you know, baseball coach dads and, stuff running running for national and state and local positions where normal people who don't have a sponsor necessarily can be in those offices and whether i agree with them or not they can act hopefully with truth and courage in the world to bring about a better america and some dignity it's funny. I, I just saw that the more and more veterans are starting to get into politics. I think, yeah, uh, recently, and I think I think that's a good thing. But uh, John, all good points with administrative state, and and this one was I don't know. There was there's a lot to this one, there, there, I mean, and it's there, a difficult there, subject there's, no matter what. There's there's really really a, it's like overwhelmingly. When I started researching this stuff, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, there's there's a lot to this. But when you dig into it, 
I guarantee you, your mind is going to start, the, the wheels are going to start turning, and you're like, oh, okay, I understand that, or oh, I see that. And they're probably, you're, you're probably going to read some stuff that might even piss you off. I guarantee you that most Americans would read quite a bit that would that would piss them off. So uh, one last thing, and I know we're about to wrap up. One last thing I would say that we come back to almost every time. We always come back to this concept of the of the individual and the truth. But I, I, I would I would say that, look, this is not rocket surgery. Right. right. Uh, just take a little bit of time and educate yourself on the founding principles and educate yourself a little bit on what is happening with the administrative state. I'll guarantee you, if you do a little bit of searching on YouTube, you can find some really good comprehensive lectures. And within a couple of hours, you can have a pretty darn good understanding of the constitution, how it should be applied and of the administrative state and what has gone awry in the administrative state. So that's my encouragement that I'll close with. I love it. John, as always, thank you. I appreciate you being on here, and I'm glad that we're doing uh, and talking about these discussions that really needs to be discussed. And we and we got to start getting people, more and more people, talking about it. But be, John, before we let you go, you know, um, I want you to tell everybody. Uh, well, first off, I'll say, folks, John has a has a company called Simper Savage, and they make the best uh, marinades and salad dressings that your taste buds will will ever experience. And I'm speaking from experience because if you go downstairs into our pantry or in our refrigerator, that is all that we carry now in this house uh, for that stuff. So, John, where can people find your delicious salad dressing Man, and marinades? If you want to get you some of the best marinade and salad dressing on the planet, Go to www.sempersavage.com. Buy yourself a two-pack or a four-pack. We got four varieties. We got Savage Centurion Red Wine Vinaigrette, Savage Balsamic Balsamic Vinaigrette, Savage Caesar, Hail Caesar, and Savage Cider Apple Cider Vinaigrette. You're going to love it. We are veteran-owned and family-operated. My wife, Stacy and I. Uh, do all the work ourselves. Yep. So that's homemade salad dressing in a bottle, salad dressing and marinade in a bottle, and you're going to love it. Check it out, guys. Seriously, you got to check it out. Um, Also, got to give props to our parent company, Heroes Media Group. They're doing a bunch of things uh, over there. Um, Check out all the new shows that are coming up uh, over there on the network. Check out the website, heroesmediagroup.com. If you would like to become part of the HMG family in some form or fashion, you can reach out to them through the website. Again, that is www.heroesmediagroup.com. Thanks for tuning in this week. Until next time, you've been listening to The Decision Hour.